Good morning. Everybody doing good on this hot summer day? <laughs> Some people came to church, huh? Maybe we can turn the AC up just a little bit. I see fans. I see fans. Are those fans or are those fans? Anyway. Anyway, we'll get that for you. Sorry about that. I think we're just trying to catch up with the with the, with the summer heat. Summer, summer heat. Well, guys, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, um, and it's just so awesome that you're here with us this morning at Connect Community Church. Our house is your house. If you wouldn't mind getting your worship guide out, and you can just kind of follow along with us as we get into the series that we've been uh, kicking off. We just started this last week, uh, just this whole idea of one at a time, one step at a time, just really being able to help people kind of grow in their and become disciples of Christ. It all starts with just kind of one step. Good leaders are always good followers. Amen. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of get right into it. But in order to be a great leader, you got to be a great follower. Um, you look at some of the greatest leaders in the Bible. You look at somebody like Joshua. My son's middle name is Joshua, DJ. Um, Joshua was, was a great leader, but he was a great follower first. He followed Moses for 40 years. And then ultimately, he was the one that took Israel into the promised land. Um, you look, you know... Even further, you look at like uh, somebody like Eli- Elisha. I love Elisha. He had a double portion of God's spirit upon him, given to him from Elijah. Well, he was kind of under Elijah's tutelage and, and followed him for 10 years. And of course, you know, some, some uh, people believe that Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, did double the miracles that Elisha did. It was all preceded by followership. And then you see somebody like Peter. Uh, I always poke fun at Peter. Peter's kind of a funny character in the Bible, but he followed Jesus for three years. Um, some people might think he should have followed a little longer, but um, he followed Jesus for three years, and he and the disciples turned the world up, upside down under the followership of, of Jesus. Amen? So being a good follower is important, and our big idea in the series has been following Jesus. Following Jesus is the call of every believer, but making followers is the role of every follower. Amen? So wherever you're at kind of here in, in, in your journey spiritually, you might be learning how to become a follower, but you should also be someone who understands that you have a role to make followers. You know, great, great disciples make, make other disciples. Amen? You're going to have to talk back at me a little bit more. I'm going to come out there. Uh, um, here, here's something I want, I want you to think about. And I think when we talk about being a follower, like there's this tendency for us to be very kind of cavalier, you know, like, Kind of like, well, make me. You know, it's, sometimes it's resistant, like overt resistance, all the way to kind of more likely passive resistance or just kind of a default to just cruising along, cozy kind of in our calling in God. And I liken it to like, and we all can relate to this, but like social media. How many of you guys are Facebook users? All you Facebook people, all right? Yep, some of you just don't want to admit it because you feel like you're going to be trapped at some point. Uh, so I, I have no problem with Facebook. There's aspects of it that I don't like. Um, I like that you can connect with people thousands of miles away, kind of keep tabs on people, what's going on. Um, you can kind of uh, creep people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Facebook, though, it can, it can get crazy, though, you know? And the things I don't like about Facebook is you start getting these invitations to, like, these games and stuff like that. You know, and if you're, if you're out there and you do that, just don't tell me who you are, okay? Uh, but, but you get people that just say, you know, hey, you want to, you know, like have snowball fights and, and, and make vegetables and stuff. <laughs> like, what is that? This is, this is a computer. Like, you know, it's just weird. Um, that's just weird to me. But anyway, that's not me. And I like Instagram. Uh, a picture's certainly worth a thousand words. And uh, I was just doing something just a little while ago. But my favorite, downright favorite, is Twitter. Because I think Twitter is like man's social media platform. You know why? Because Listen, ladies, listen up to this. Because only 140 characters. No drama, no diatribes, no, like... Blah, 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 blah. Just got to, headlines, baby. You just got to get it out there and move on, right? So, and that's why I think it's man's social platform. But short and kind of to the point. But on Twitter, for example, um, you know, you, you have this, you basically have people that they, they record these different thoughts. They put their thoughts and ideas on, on and it shows up on your stream, kind of like a thread. And, and a lot of people, though, they clog up my stream, 
You know what I'm saying? Like there's some people that tweet, it's like Twitter litter. Like they just tweet out everything they're thinking. Like they take a breath, <gasps> Twitter, 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 Twitter. And, it, and before you know it, there's like five, I went, you know, I got up this morning, I saw the sunrise, I drank a glass of orange juice, then I went here and took a picture of my dog, and then my dog barfed, and then it just goes on and on and on. It's like, it's clogging up everything. And so what's awesome about Twitter is just like you can follow somebody quickly, you can unfollow, you know, bam, just you're off. I am not following you anymore. And how many know what I'm talking about? How many, come on, admit it if you've unfollowed somebody, okay? All right, some of you just won't admit it. You won't admit it. Liars. Uh, it's just something powerful about just being able to just go unfollow. You know, you're done. You're out. And, and the thing is, I, this example I think sometimes may not be perfect, but it, I think it translates sometimes into our fellowship of Christ. Sometimes we can minimize our, it's, it's our view, our scope of fellowship is minimized by our culture today, by our world today. We're, we're not looking at it with the same seriousness or sobriety that we should in our walk with God. We need to take this, the idea of fellowship more seriously. I'll go old school. So that's new school. Old school, some of you guys remember, how many of you are familiar with Billy Graham? Or Billy Graham, incredible man of God, started strong, finished strong. Uh, you know, I have some friends who've, who've been, had audience with him and that just changed their lives. And he's basically at the phase of life he's at right now. He's kind of in a coaching role. And so he has people come in if he's feeling well, you know, and, and kind of pour into them a little bit. It's pretty cool. But, but Billy Graham is most, mostly known, most people know him as an evangelist who would have crusades. And probably all of us, in, in, anywhere under the age of 40 probably, or excuse me, over 40, have probably seen one of his crusades on television. And he'd have these epic, I mean, just massive crusades, thousands upon thousands of people, and he would give the gospel in a very profound way, compelling way. It would be an atmosphere that was just energized. It would be an atmosphere filled with, you know, um, emotion. And at the end of it, every time, every time, at the end of Billy, Billy Graham's message, you could hear the song coming up, you know, through the stadium, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Anybody ever know that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. You know it? I have decided, Pastor, you're going to go there by yourself, it's in the stratosphere, to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And then he would, he would sing the cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me, still I will fall. Powerful song. And while that song is going on in that atmosphere, thousands upon thousands of people are going out of the stands, out of the, out of the stadium, down to what we know is like an altar. You know, it's a platform, but they, it, was, it was like an altar, an altar of decision, a place where people would transfer their trust from, you know, themselves, saving themselves to what Jesus did for them and putting their, putting their, putting their trust in what Jesus did for them 2,000 years ago. They're accepting uh, that gift that grace gift. It's powerful. Scores of people did that. But here's the interesting part, and, and here's where I'm going with that. And, and Billy Graham would say this himself. In fact, it's, re it's recorded in one of his books that I read that many of those thousands of people who made decisions didn't become disciples. Thousands upon thousands of people who made the decisions didn't actually become true followers of Christ. In fact, he said, if I could have put as much energy as I did into small communities getting together and getting in relationships so they could grow, as I did into large crusades, my ministry would be completely different and the world would be changed. This song, you know, that we know and we've heard before many of us was supposed to be an anthem of deeper commitment, not an anthem of just great decisions. In other words, God wants all of me. In other words, follow Jesus wasn't supposed to be some kind of casual, comfortable thing. We've said this many times here at Connect that God is not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. He's interested in actually seeing a change from you from the inside out. And one of the questions that I posed at you as a people last week was, what would be one decision you can make that could change your life? And I think our default is always to something surface, something external, you know, go on a diet, you know what I mean? Have a minor surgery. Just kidding. Um, you know, that was funny. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, change something on the outside. 
They'd be like, what's the matter with that? Anyway, uh, you, know, you know, get on a spending plan, save some more money, get, you know, buy a toy. We all think about something else that's going to make us happy. But the truth is, and God knows this, that if you really want to make a change that makes a change in all of you, it has to be from the inside out. It's a spiritual change because we are spiritual beings having a human experience. It should be a serious commitment to be a follower of Christ. Now, you guys know me, and, and some of you at least know me, and, and I like to have fun, and I like to laugh, but I'm just going to let you know, today's going to be a little bit more up in your grill. Some of you are like, great, I brought guests. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why today? All right? And it's, not, it's, it's more for, our, you know, for the people coming on a regular basis. This is kind of a challenge to do, because sometimes church has got to be a little bit more than popcorn and movie clips. I don't know. This is good preaching, Pastor. I just want to let you know that I really like this. It's going good so far. Keep it up. So anyway, the truth behind this particular song, I was, I was doing some research on the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. And there's a story, basically, where this came from. It came from a, uh, somewhere in India they were in the 19th century, you know, a couple hundred years ago, plus or minus, there was a Hindu village where this family lived, and they had converted to Christianity. It was a big deal. It was a big deal because in, 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 in this particular region of the world, it was considered a capital offense to convert to Christianity. In fact, if you did convert to Christianity, you would be brought before all the people with an opportunity to renounce that commitment to Christ. And if you didn't, you could be killed. And so this particular father, Assam, and his family were brought before this particular village, and they were given an opportunity to renounce their faith. And they told him, if you do not renounce your faith, you will die. You're go- we're going to kill you. And he replied out loud at the top of his lungs, I have decided to follow Jesus. And with that, with that, they said, you don't seem to understand. You're going to die, and your family's going to die. And with that, they pulled his wife out from the crowd, and they executed her in front of him. And as as they're killing her, he said, no turning back, no turning back. And then they began to, to, to kill him and his family. And as he's dying and he's drawing his last breath, much like, you know, Stephen, when he was stoned, he, he, he looked up into the sky and he said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. That song was meant to be an anthem of commitment, not a comfortable song that we just that brings back some nostalgic memory for you and I when we think about it. And, and don't answer this out loud, but how serious are you in your commitment to Christ? How serious are you as a Christ follower? In Mark chapter 8, which is going to be our theme text this morning, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. We're going to look at that. You can look in your worship guide. You can look on version uh, and follow along in there as well. Or your Bibles itself, for those of you who still do that. <laughs> Mark 8, 27. I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this and kind of tell it, you know, in a, in a um, descriptive style. But here's basically what's going on. Jesus and his disciples... They're, they're on a walk, and they go to the village of Caesarea and Philippi. This is in uh, the, the region of Judea. They're kind of in the middle of that region. They're kind of, you know, off of the coast, inside a little bit. It's kind of a, it's a cosmopolitan kind of area, city-like. It would be like going into Worcester, going into Boston. And Jesus basically is wanting to make a point of contrast with them. Most of the time when he's teaching, he's kind of doing it. It's like lakeside chapel or it's like, you know, temple talk, you know, synagogue, church kind of place. It's all comfortable. Religious people all around. Instead, this time he wants to kind of teach them amidst the world. And so he's going into this kind of big city, and he's looking around, and he's basically saying, you know, look at all this, check this all out. And as they're there on the way, he asks them, hey, guys, what are people saying about me? Who do they say, you know, I am? Who, who, what, what, what's, what's, what's the word on the street? And so they respond and they say, basically, some say you're John the Baptist. And what's interesting about that is, is John the Baptist had been beheaded recently for his faith. How many know that's commitment? Yeah. Right? All right? And John the Behe- they said, maybe you're John the Baptist. And others said, you're Elijah. Others said, you're like one of the prophets. And, 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 and here's why that's kind of, here's what's going on. They're kind of a, a confused culture. They're not really clear on things and what they believe. But one of the things they believed in was reincarnation. So they're thinking, maybe this Jesus is John the Baptist. Come back. He just died. Maybe he's come back. Or maybe he's Elijah from a long time ago, and he's come back. Maybe he's a prophet. They're kind of, they're kind of confused. That's what people are saying in Caesarea. That's what people are saying in Philippi. So then he says, well, what about you? 
Who do you say that I am? And of course, the most sanguine of the clan, Jesus Posse, everybody knows who he is. One of my favorite characters, Peter, speaks up. He's, I don't know what, if you know about personality styles, but you got a sanguine or you got like the eye, the, the kind of the inspirational influence personality, like galaxy eye. That's what Peter was. He was like out there. Before a question was even completely asked, Peter would speak up. I could show you scriptures where he did that. And so God had even interrupted him one time while he's, while he's talking. Like, be quiet, you know what I mean? And so Peter just couldn't help himself but just blurt stuff out. So, but Peter, in this particular case, he gets it right. He says, you're the Christ. In one translation, you know, it says, you know, it's basically like, unbelievable. You know, you, you couldn't possibly know this. You know, this must be revealed to you by my father. You're not smart enough, Peter, to know this. It's incredible. You got that right. Now, what's interesting about getting the answer right, I think God probably tried to read. This is my opinion now. I'm submitting this to you as distinction. I think he, God gave him the answer. It was a revelation, but I think he interpreted the revelation before he got it all. Because later on, you can see from Peter's life that he didn't quite grasp the purpose and plan of Christ. Even though he could answer that question right, he didn't understand the purpose and plan that Christ had for his life. And you can see that as you, as you understand the context. And so here's what goes on. The disciples, they're all, in this time, in this season, they're all hoping that Jesus is, they're all signed up for something different than what Jesus was signing them up for. They're all hoping Jesus is going to be like the president. He's going to be commander-in-chief, and Peter's hoping he's going to be chief of his staff. They're all looking for, like, they're all lining up to, like, rule, and, and, and Jesus is going to take over. That's their mindset when this, when this is going on. And then Jesus begins to teach them something, and he unpacks three things that were counterintuitive to the notions they had about what Jesus was up to. Are you tracking with me out there? If you are, say amen. So he began to teach them, and he warned them not to tell anybody about what I'm getting ready to tell you, and he taught them that the Son of Man must suffer. Everybody say suffer. Many things and be rejected, say rejected, by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, the religious, and that he must be ultimately killed. Everybody say killed. And after three days, praise the Lord, rise again. And then it says, I love this, it says, he spoke plainly. He had some explaining to do to them. Right? Ever had somebody explain something to you? Anybody ever taken you by the collar and just kind of go, listen to me right now, you know? Ever, any parents out there know what I'm talking about with your kids? Look at me, and your kid's like, no, no, no. You have to take their face, squeeze it hard. <laughs> Mom, you're hurting me. I know. You're lucky I don't kill you. But I love you. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I think Jesus, is, he's got some stuff he wants to explain to them plainly. And I think that's what a good leader does once in a while. In other words, it's good to have fun. It's good to, to build people up, encourage people. But once in a while, you have to charge the people. Once in, once in a while, you have to challenge the people. And I think that's what Jesus was about. And so what's interesting, once again, as this is going on, Bigfoot and Big Mouth has a temporary lapse of judgment. We know who he is. His name is Peter. Peter takes, check this out, Jesus is getting ready to teach them plainly, challenging them, charging them, giving them these counterintuitive thoughts, and Peter says, yo, Jesus, come over here, come over here, come over here, Jesus, Jesus, come here, come here, hey, 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 and the Bible, can you imagine, the son of God, he just got the revelation, you are the Christ, but come over here, I gotta explain some stuff to you, Jesus, my God, my God, help this man. And so he gets over there, and, he, and the Bible says he began to rebuke him. Notice it says he began because it didn't last very long. <laughs> if you start to rebuke Jesus, I got a few things. Have you ever done that with God? Where you're like, hey, I think this is what you should do. We do this a lot ourselves. We think Peter's exclusive. He's all there by himself. You and I do this all the time. We pray like that. We tell God how he should answer our prayers. We tell God, this is how you should finish that sentence. This is who you should smite off the planet. These are the kind of things that we do, right? So Jesus then rebukes Peter, and he looks at all the other guys before that. I think he's going, hey, all you guys, listen up, because this isn't just for Peter. This is for all y'all, and I could do it to every one of you. Peter 
Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Whew. Man. I mean, when he rebukes, he rebukes. Jesus didn't pussyfoot around. Jesus didn't just kind of like, he laid it down when he laid it down. I mean, he's all, I think he's all for, you know, making life great. Hey, you need a drink of water? I got more water than you could possibly imagine. Hey, you need to be healed? Bam, shazam, boom, boom, boom. He's awesome. But once in a while, you're going to get it between the eyes. You're acting like Satan. Praise the Lord. This is a great service. Where's he going with this? Then he says this, and this is the counterintuitive thought. You do not have in mind all y'all, but I'm talking to you, Peter, while everybody's listening in. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of what? Men. That, I think that's the crux of what it means to follow Jesus. In other words, it's not about us. It's about God. And I think you and I have this tendency to think about ourselves first. We have this default towards me, myself, and I. Don't we? I mean, you say, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. If, if you have a family photo, who's the first face you look for? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Admit it. You look for you. In fact, if you get everybody together to have one of those epic, it's like an event to have a family photo, isn't it? It's like it's an act of Congress to get everybody to be in the same location at the same time, to have everybody be happy, to have everybody actually smile at the same time. But once you've done all that, if you're smile, your picture, your profile, your angle doesn't look right, then it's a big fat do-over, right? Because it, it's, it, there's this default. We, we live in a selfie generation, don't we? We're like, click, no, mm, delete, click, mm, no, delete, Whoo, click, mm, click, mm, click, 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 and like, which one is it going to be? And then post it all over the planet. Mm, I know I'm hitting some nerves here. So then, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if any one of you come at, if, excuse me, if anyone would come after me, then there's this comma. Everybody say comma. So he poses a question. If any one of you come after me, comma, I think we've got to pay attention to this because something big is coming after that. It says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is what fellowship looks like. You live your life not for you but for him. You get a point and you get to a point from that point where you live your life for him. You take up your cross. You deny yourself. And by the way, d- denial of self is different than self-denial. So what are you talking about? Self-denial, think about this. If we have like, we have a, a will, you know, we have um, emotions and feelings, thoughts and feelings. That, there's a chair kind of where, 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 where those, that will is. It's like a muscle. It needs to be, it needs to be equipped. It needs to be trained in order for our feelings and thoughts and emotions not to rule us. And if self is on that seat, then it's that self-denial. We will get to the end of ourself at some point. But if Christ is on that seat, that's when we can literally live at another level or at like almost like another order of being because Christ is empowering us, not you empowering you. That's why we can say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through me on the throne. No, through Christ who strengthens me. Does that make sense to everybody out there? So self-denial is different than denial. So I'm not saying self-denial is bad. I'm just saying it has an end point. That's why you can't quit this. That's why you can't stop that. That's why you can't get over this. And that's why you end up hating yourself because self is still on the throne. And Jesus is trying to, this is good preaching, by the way. I hope you realize it. Jesus is trying to get you to surrender yourself to him. But for many of us, when we think of the cross, we look at it like an ornament, a beautiful piece of jewelry to wear. Back then, they understood it as a totally different thing. Back then, it, it was seen as a, as, a, as a symbol of torture and, and suffering and, and cru- to, you know, crucifixion. It was totally different. But for us, it's kind of a, it's ornate. It's kind of a, it's a beautiful piece of jewelry. It, a better thing for us to understand and appreciate what it would be like for them to put it in our culture today would be for us to wear an electric chair around our neck. That's more relevant, as it were, to them. Then he goes on. I'm building up and it's going to keep getting stronger. Say, I can handle it. No pain, no gain. It's like a Charlie Brown crusade. For, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. In other words, I think he's saying this. I think he's saying, you think I'm asking too much? I got news for you. You, you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. We, listen, this is going to sound more, but just stay, stay all the way through. We're all going to die. 
Hey, doctors die. Healthy people die. People who eat organic food die. They just die with a nasty taste in their mouth, okay? Everybody's going to die. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but if you live your life that denies what you want and does what God wants, then what he's saying is that's when you can experience real life. There used to be the song, Real Love, I'm talking about a real love. I'm talking about real life. This isn't about suicide. This is about surrender is what he's talking about. He's not saying kill yourself. He's saying surrender yourself to me. And if you do, that's how you can experience real life. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it, the Bible says. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Yet at the end of it, forfeit his own soul. Haven't we all thought that at one time? How many of you ever been to a funeral before? You you will eventually, okay, if you haven't. And if you've ever been to a funeral where somebody died young, now, you know, we all think life is short regardless of their age because life is short at, against the, in contrast against either our own life or life in this world. But life, you know, life is really short against eternity. But for us, when we're comparing ourselves to each other, when somebody young dies, you know, it's, it's, we, when we're there in that situation and we're, we're going through that, I think consciously or unconsciously, many of us are just thinking, you know what, my decisions should have a more eternal um, focus than maybe they do sometimes. And some of us, many of us, have already made some of those eternal decisions, predetermined some of those eternal decisions. We're thinking about the life after. We're thinking about how we live this life, that life is a test. It's a temporary assignment. And that, and that I have one, it's not a dress rehearsal. It's, we got one, it's a real show. We got one shot at it. And many of us have made those decisions in advance. But many, 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 many people, In those settings, in scenarios, in funerals, haven't thought about that, but they are usually there. Right? You tracking with me so far? And it's there we realize and think more about those kind of decisions. And and so if that is true and we believed that our eternal decisions were more important, what would we do then for that? And the Bible says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you do in exchange for your soul? The answer is you'd do anything, everything for it. That's what you would do. He goes on, and Jesus wraps it all up, and he defines it even more. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. In other words, when he returns. He's basically, Jesus is, he's speaking plainly. And again, this isn't like, okay, we're, we're out of the at the movie series and popcorn and movie clips, okay? I hope you guys are grasping that. This is Jesus talking now really plainly with you. He's being really strong with you. He's basically saying, what does it mean to be a follower of one? Don't be ashamed of me. Deny yourself, not just self-denial. Another translation from Luke 9.23, it says it this way. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, actually daily. So obviously we don't die physically because he's saying daily we give up ourselves. It's about surrender and follow me. Petey, why are you talking about this? Why are you being so strong this morning? What's this all about? Uh, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking as a church, we're really blessed, all right? We have, a, we have a healthy church, and we have a lot of people who are in different places on the journey. I love, love, love that about our church. We have some people here this morning who are like, I don't know about all this, but I like something about it. You know what I mean? Coffee's good. I like his shirt. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, like, I like the music. The people are friendly. There's a lot of different things that people are kind of, they're in a certain place. Then you got some other people like, you know what, I I bought it. You know, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I bought this whole Jesus thing. I want to have a relationship with him, but I don't know Jack. You know, I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? I can't tell the difference between Genesis and Revelation. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know. I got a ton of questions, but I made that connection. You got some people like fell away and now they're back, you know, kind of the stumbler. And they're like, you know, they, they left church. And as a result, they left God for a while. But now they're realizing, you know what? It's, it, it wasn't God that was a problem. It was church. And they found a church that like, oh, wait a second. Now church isn't so much the problem. And I'm here and I want to grow. I don't want to get things turned around. Then you got other people that like sold out. You know, those, those are the crazy ones. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, they're like, they're giving, hey, drink this Kool-Aid. You know, they're crazy. So you got that whole, all those people. Some of you must be a lot of crazy people because everybody got quiet on that one. <laughs> so, so you got all those kind of people. I love that everybody's at different places in their journey, right? But, but I feel as a pastor, we have a responsibility to wherever you are. 
to identify where you are in that journey and move you forward. Success is when we take people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so I want to help you find out where you are in that journey, and I'm going to challenge you and exhort you to move forward. Can, I say, can you say amen? Are you ready to move forward? So here's five levels of following. I'm going to go through these quickly. All right, I stole some of these ideas from Rick Warren, just to be honest with you. I couldn't improve upon it, these five words. Here's, here's five levels of following. You've got to kind of place yourself. Where are you in these levels? Jesus' first appeal was to the crowd. Everybody say the crowd. Here's what Jesus said with the crowd. He said, come and see. It was the most simplistic, evangelistic methodology there really was. He basically didn't try to feed them the four spiritual laws or teach them Romans Road. Some of you won't even know that stuff. It's old school stuff. It's good stuff, but it's just old school. And, and he would just say, come and see. you got to come check it out. His first message to the disciples was basically come and see. Luke chapter 5, when he first called the disciples, he kind of he went down and, and they had all these problems and they, they couldn't get any fish and they're exhausted. And cast your net out again. Come on, I don't really want to cast out my net again. I'm exhausted. Do it, do it again. Come on, do it again. Oh, okay, if you, just because you asked, I will. And then their, their nets are overflowing. Their boat's better, ready to just burst at the seams. They're all freaking out. They're like, you know, singing Jesus, you know, is the king. They're just all excited. You know, he's, they're, they're, they're pumped. They'll go anywhere with him. They don't care what he teaches, what he says. He's a cool cat. And he, and he just said, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's, that's kind of, that was kind of his approach. And think about it, really. That's, that was Jesus' approach, and I think the church should have the same initial, it should have the same personality as Jesus. And so when we're trying to minister to the crowd, we don't go with a discipleship-oriented message. We go kind of with a come-and-see message. Come on in. You know, come on in. You're going to like this. We do, we're going to have fun. We're going to, we, we do a great job with your kids. We're, we're going to have music that you just, you're just going to feel so encouraged. We're going to have a message that builds you up. Come on, come and see. And so you might be in that place, in that particular crowd. That's who we're trying to reach. And, and, and I think Peter was thinking it was a good day. I like this guy. And I think that's sometimes what we're trying to do with the church is make it attractional to the crowd. Amen? The next level is the congregation. This, this, this group, this smaller circle than the, than, the, than the crowd, if you like what you see, here's what we say. Come be a part of it. Now, I always have this phrase that if you don't be a part, lest you come apart. Because, see, if you're out on your own, you are more susceptible to coming apart. There's so many people, and I, I went to bed last night, and I was Facebooking a guy that I just, Lord, put on my heart. And I was just like, dude, where are you at, you know? Calling Casper to friendly goes, where you at? Because I could, he's been pulled out, isolated and insulated. And Ecclesiastes talks about, you know, pity the one who's in that particular situation. I want to personally give you an invitation to be a part of this congregation. And we had, we had several families last week who made that commitment to be a part of our church. And, and, and you know what? Maybe you need to take your time. Check it out. Check it out fully. Do your due diligence. If I was in your shoes and I was looking for a church, it might take me a couple months, two, three months, just to really know this is the right place for me. But when you get to that place, you should come to a place where you lock and load, where you're forsaking all others, just like you did in a relationship. For it to be successful, it required commitment. You have to get to a place where you make a commitment. Be a part of a congregation. Be a part of a spiritual family. But know this. We want you, and you're welcome here. Amen? Psalm 92.13, I think it's in your notes. I love, love, love this scripture. I just found it this week. Um, I've read it many times, but I just didn't see it like this. It says, planted in the house of the Lord. Everybody say planted. They will flourish in the courts of our God. How do you flourish? Only planted. If you want to bear fruit, you have to be rooted. Roots are relationships. Say, I don't have any relationship in the church. Well, then you need to work at it. Well, I don't want to work out. I want to just kind of come my way. I want everybody to get on my level. No, you need to make some effort. Make some effort to be in relationship with people. It takes a little bit of effort. You kind of got to go through some of the aki phases with people. You know what I mean? That's why we have coffee. So you can like walk up to somebody and say, hey, if you don't have a cup of coffee, you're kind of like, <laughs> you know, you don't know what to do with yourself. You know what I mean? You get a cup of coffee. It's like, hey, what's up? So, you know what I mean? Pass the sugar. <laughs> What's up, sugar? You know, whatever. I mean, I mean, you can work it better, okay? All right, next level. The committed. <laughs> These people are the people who realize and come to a place where they want more, the operative word being more. I'm going to come and grow. That's what these people are saying. I'm not just, I'm going to get involved. 
People, for, sometimes you have to get, Rick Warren says this too, by the way, he says, equally informed, equally involved, equally involved, equally invested. You have to get informed at a certain level, but then you got to get involved. These are the people who are deciding to get involved, come and grow, get in, get in a group. So what kind of group should I get into? You got relationship groups, needs, you got interests. We got all, all different types of groups, especially in the fall, it'll blow up. We'll have a full landscape of groups that we have, but get in a group. What kind of group? What are you struggling with? What's going on in your life? What do you need? Well, my, my kids, I'd like to kill them. Well, maybe you need to get in a parenting group. You know, maybe, maybe you're struggling, you know, just relationally. Maybe you got to get around some other guys. You know what I mean? So you can be encouraged because you're going through a hard time in your marriage. Maybe you need a marriage group because you need to get built up. Maybe you're going through something tough. Maybe you need to get in one of our freedom groups, like a life group. Maybe you're going through money problems. You need to get into one of our stewardship groups. Get in community with people. Read the one. How can you grow? Get, get online and use our one-year Bible. It's an incredible tool. 15 minutes a day. Just, to, just 15 minutes a day going through the Bible every single day. You can just hit play and listen to it. I mean, we make it easy, but we're not committed past just sitting down for 15 minutes sometimes to, to really grow. Get in the growth track. Go to 201 tonight and learn the essentials of the faith. Say, I've done that before. Well, get fired up again. Can you teach it? Can you give it away? No. Well, then you probably should do it again. That is good. Amen. Go to our water baptism tonight. Why? I'm not getting baptized. So that other people can be encouraged by, by witnesses. Go get blessed and watch people's lives change. Watch the light from heaven come upon them as you see the approval of God when people decide not to be ashamed of their faith anymore. Watch that and get charged up in your faith. Amen? It's awesome. Number four, the core. Everybody say the core. This is all about come and serve. Come and serve. I knew he was going to go there. He's going to trick me to try to do stuff in the church for free. <laughs> Listen, if that's what you think, you are so missing it. It's, the church should be at some point more than a place to hang out and just chill. It's, 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 at some point, it's not about you. This, I think the secret sauce to some of our problems is being introduced to a bigger problem, but you can't solve bigger problems if you're not a part of a group, if you're not a part of a church that is working together to achieve something greater than itself. The sum is greater than its parts, amen? And so when people come together as a body, you know, I'm, this is just the mouth talking right now, big one, but this is the mouth talking right now, but it needs all the different parts of the body, knowing what their part is, their function is. Do you know when the, when the parts all come together, connect to the body, that's how you feel God. Say, I don't feel God's presence anymore. It's because you're not connected. This hand disconnected from the body is just weird. It's the Adams family. <laughs> All right? You can't feel the circulation that comes from being a part of the body. You can't find your purpose unless you're connected. This hand won't know what it's supposed to do unless it's connected to the rest of the body. Are you guys catching me with this? It's really important to get find what your fit is, your role is, your functions. That's what we do next week is help you with that in our growth track. What were you created to do? You were created to, to do more than suck air, take up space, abuse God's grace, just kind of coast through life Christianity, waiting and hoping you don't make, enough mis make any mistakes. Get up every day. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. Oh, don't look at that girl. Oh, don't do this. Oh, don't do that. That's not how we're supposed to live our Christian life. I don't sin. I sin less not because I'm holier than anybody else. I sin less because I'm more surrendered than most people. Using my gifts for God. I don't have time to sin. Is anybody getting what I'm saying? I'm not better. I'm not more, you know, strong. It's because I surrender my gifts to God in the process of surrendering my gifts to God. You know, you're just doing things that are bringing glory to God. It keeps, it sanctifies you in the process. And so I invite you to serve. Look, you don't look at the place and say, oh, everything's all set, everything's all set. Just because you came, listen, there's opportunity. We don't need you. We just want you. It's better for you. I invite you to serve. It will change your life. I can put you in, in touch with people. Ask anybody on the dream team. Say, how has serving changed your life? And I, and I, and I, and I bet they're going to say something very encouraging, inspired. I was at a, uh, I could go off all day on this, and I'm not going to do it. But I was at a, at a birthday party recently, and I was just listening to people testify. And one of the overwhelming things that people were saying was how serving changed their life. All right. Get on a dream team. Get on a dream team. That's the, that's the win for our church. Next level. Jesus took it even higher. This is, the, this is the highest level, the ultimate level of all, the commissioned. I'm going to come and die. Not suicide, surrender. I'm going to come and die. This is just more than Sundays. Like, are you a Sunday Christian? Sometimes we move from C&E 
to every Sunday Christian. God wants you every day Christian. He wants full-time Christians. I'm not talking about pastors, that's your profession. I'm talking about full-time, sold-out Christians. That wherever you are, you see yourself as, as, a, as a, you know, a light on a hill. You see yourself as, as not undercover Christian. You see yourself as totally surrendered to God. And, and, and a lot of times, like, we, we don't see it that way. That means we're a Christian at the ball game for our kids. Oh, boy, he's going to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to be Christ-like there? Yeah, it means like in traffic. It means like in traffic. You still have to be a Christian, Derek. I mean, I, 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 I communicate murderous threats to people. I'm like, what is up in here? You know what I'm saying? At the restaurant, when the waitress has not come for three and a half days to serve you, you still have to be a light in those situations. you got to scale it to where you're at. Are you out there, everybody? So come and die. You're all somewhere on this path, and you'll get the greatest return if you go from no commitment to total commitment. That's where you're going to get the greatest return. Go from that. Move forward. Consumer to contributor. From, from Savior, what God did for me, to Lord, what can I do for God? That's the invitation today. And we're just all just taking that journey. It's, my job as a pastor, a pastor shepherd is, like the, is the same word in the Bible. A shepherd just say, hey, come over here. There's some green grass over here. Come on, come on, check this out. It, the pasture's better over here. You know, here's the path. That, that's what I'm trying to do is just point out the path for you to be successful. And my, my focus, you know, for you is to take sometimes the crowd and move them forward maybe into the congregation and so on and so forth to the core, to the committed to the commissioned. There's a lot of people, honestly, that are in the crowd that just kind of come in and go out. We have a lot of people give their heart to Christ. And this isn't, by the way, what I'm getting ready to say isn't one of those golf clap type things. This is a really big, you know, shouting thing. So get ready to just get, get ready to praise the Lord for this. But since January to today, we've had 292 decisions for Christ through this church. Come on, can you give the Lord your best for that? Amen. Yeah. But listen, listen. I'm, I'm tremendously burdened, though. I don't want, and, and, and no disrespect to Bill, Billy Graham, but I don't want a ministry where just hundreds and hundreds of people make decisions. I want to see hundreds of people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that means once in a while, you have to have things explained to you plainly. Once in a while, you have to take some steps and move forward. So what are those steps? Let me tell you, for some of you, most of you, the biggest group in here, and we'll get to some of the other levels as we go forward in the series. That's what the series is all about. But the first step for some of you, after you've made a decision to be a follower of Christ, is to get water baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, those who accepted his message were what? They were what? They were what? Baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number today. So they made a decision, and then everybody got baptized. It wasn't like 3,000 made a decision, and like three people got baptized. They all got baptized. The first response after salvation is to be baptized. It's listed 27 times in the New Testament alone, people being baptized immediately after they made a decision. And we make it more out of convenience today. It's, it was, in the Bible, it was very spontaneous. People just did it. It was a post-decision. And the reason I say that is because many people have been baptized pre-decision. And I have no uh, disrespect. I don't have any issue with anybody who was baptized as an infant. We, we respect that. We, we, we understand that. It has some merit and value to you. But I'm just saying from a biblical perspective, we don't see that in the scriptures. So we are a biblically centered church. And so we believe that uh, we dedicate babies, but we baptize believers. And that means somebody has to, of their own free will, cognizant of the decision they made, decide to follow in that particular step. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Again, we have nothing against uh, infant baptism, but all baptisms in the Bible were post-decision. And there's some here, I'm believing this and speaking this by faith, you came to church dry today, and I'm, and I'm challenging you tonight to go home wet. <laughs> to go home wet. Get baptized today. Here's three reasons why you should. Write this down. To follow in the example of Christ. Following the example of Christ. Jesus sanctified baptism. He didn't need to do this because baptism is a sign that our sins are gone. It's a sign that our sins are gone and that we've been forgiven. Well, Jesus didn't need that. He didn't have any sin to forgive. Instead, he showed us how important it was by doing it himself. That's how he sanctified it. In one uh, translation, it says he had to do it to fulfill all righteousness. It's, it's the wedding band of Christianity. It's the wedding band of Christianity. It's saying 
to whom I belong. It's, it's telling everybody publicly, I'm not for sale. I'm not up for grabs. It's somebody I belong to. Baptism is a public display of that. Baptism is the same thing. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Paul speaking, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we're supposed to do the same thing Christ did. That's what Paul did. This is a really tough scripture, and I'm sorry about this, but I'm just going to put it out there. 1 John 2, 4, look in your notes. Someone may say this. Listen to this. It's strong. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him, what? He's a liar. <sighs> Let that confront you. Let it go to work. It's pretty strong. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying I'll go to the cross. You get in the water. I went to the cross. Get your hair wet, ladies. Put a hairnet on. I had, I had one lady tell me, she goes, you mean I have to, get, I don't want to get baptized because I don't want to get my hair wet. I'm like, Jesus died for you. You get in the water. It should be yes, sir. That's what it should be. It should be yes, sir. Here's another reason we do it. Be, to demonstrate my changed life. It's an outward sign of an inward conviction. In the old days, baptisms didn't have baptistries like we have. You don't know this, but there's a tub right in here. There's a pool right over there. Okay, and it's got filtered water, and it's perfectly chlorinated and clean, and it's heated. It's it's literally a jacuzzi. I come here on Mondays. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What's pastor? He's out there in the jacuzzi. It's awesome, but it didn't it didn't used to be like that. It was in the river. It was like down by the river. That's where everybody went to get baptized. The Jordan River is filthy. Did you know that? It's filthy. And this is what they used to do, and this was the tradition. People would get baptized. They wear two sets of clothes. This was the tradition. Different. We didn't have all the perfect clothes. I want you to stand like this and hand over hand. And okay, ready? Stiff as the back. Okay, already? Here we go. Woo! You know, it wasn't like that back then. Everybody wore two sets of clothes. Uh, the, the undergarments were pure white. The outer garments were their dirty clothes. And what they would do is when they got baptized is they would just bend down, and they'd take off all those outer garments, and they would come up white, clean, and all those outer garments would go down the river. It was a sign, it was a picture that that old life is downriver. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not the same guy anymore. I heard a guy one time say, you know, on my, on my wedding, you know, I wore a tuxedo, and when I, get, when I die, I'm going to probably wear a suit. So when I get baptized, since it's a big day, I'm going to wear a tuxedo that day too. And he did. He got dunked in a tuxedo. He took it seriously. 1 Peter 3.21 says, in baptism, we show that we have been saved. We show. It doesn't mean we are. We show that we've been saved from death and doomed by the resurrection of Christ, not because of our bodies are washed clean, but by the water, but because, it's being, because in being baptized, we are turning to God and asking him to cleanse our hearts from sin. Powerful. Why should we do this? To declare my commitment publicly. Last point. To declare my commitment publicly. Again, it's a big deal to God. It's saying, I'm not ashamed of you. If you don't want him to be ashamed of you, don't be ashamed of him. People say, well, your faith is private. And Pastor, my faith's private. I, I, I have issue with that because the Bible says something different about that. It's supposed to be a salt and a light, a city on a hill, a light to the world. I think your faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. Listen, my, my relationship with my wife is personal, but it's not private. If I went to work every day and I kissed my wife goodbye, honey, I love you, I love you, see my ring, you know, we're married, hi, we're together. And then I went into the garage and I took my wedding ring off and I hid it somewhere in a box and then I got in my car and I went to work without a wedding ring on every day. And then I came home and before I, instead of coming to the front door, I went through the garage and I put the wedding ring back on and then I came inside, honey, what if one day she came out in the garage and she saw me taking that ring out and putting on, what do you think that day would be like? <laughs> Hair, teeth, and eyeballs. Okay, this, 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 this doesn't mean, I'm, it, this shows to everybody that I belong to Stacy. It means I'm committed to Stacy. It's basically saying, you can't have this. She has that, all right? And that's what baptism is like. Baptism is saying, I belong to God. I am public about my commitment to God. It is personal, but it was never meant to be private. Can I have an amen out there? God wants you to do something. Okay, Matthew 10, uh, 32 says, who acknowledged me before, whoever acknowledges me before men. Bible, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Again, I didn't write that, God did. So my challenge to you is this, as I conclude. Have you ever been baptized? Again, I'm just going for the big crowd. There's a whole bunch of steps here we're going to talk about in this series as we go forward. 
Have you ever been baptized? If you've, maybe you were baptized, you know, as an infant. Have you been baptized as a believer? Was a post-decision. If you've given your heart to Christ, have you been water baptized? Have you been dunked? If you haven't been, if you haven't been, tonight's your night. Come to church dry. Go home tonight wet. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we can, we're going to make sure. We got towels. We got all that kind of, we have, a, we, have one, we have a wonderful gift for every person who gets baptized. We have a towel for every person that will get baptized tonight. We have uh, a lot of people getting baptized. We have babies being dedicated tonight. It's going to be an incredible service. If you ever want to be baptized, you want to check it out, come check it out. If you are a family member of this church, come and support the people who are being baptized tonight. Today is the day to make that next step in your faith commitment for Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? I'm going to pray for you. Just a reminder, 201 tonight in the lower auditorium. No, excuse me. Yep, lower auditorium at 530. If you are being baptized or you are dedicating your child uh, for water baptism, be here at 430. Baptism, the service starts at 530. So there's information, applications, just the bottom of the stairs. As soon as you go out the stairs, it'll be right there in front of you. You can get an application, sign up for water baptism. Uh, Tonight, you can ask questions, any questions you have. If you want to dedicate your child tonight, you decide you want to do that too. Uh, you can also do that. Be, be back here if you want a baby dedication tonight. The service starts at 5.30, but you have to be here at 5. If you're being water baptized, be here at 4.30 early. We have a little orientation we want to go through with you tonight, this evening. Amen? Just close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray that you help them move from wherever they are to where you want them to be. God, if they're not in a small group, they'll take time out right after church today and, and, and get signed up into a small group. They'll go online, they'll sign up in a small group. If they've made a decision for Christ but they've never been water baptized, they feel that nudge by the Holy Spirit to just make that next step, that commitment, and be water baptized. Maybe they just need to grow. They need to move into that, that, that next level, that committed level. Whatever, wherever they're at, God, I pray that you challenge them, Lord, but you encourage them that whoever surrenders their life to you is going to find real life in the process. If they want to fire up their faith, if they want their life to be uh, better, not better than everybody else, but better off because we're surrendered to you, I pray, Lord Jesus, you encourage everyone that did that this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this incredible church and all the people that are here this morning. We give you praise and glory and honor. And all God's people said a big amen and amen. You guys have a great Sunday afternoon. We'll see many of you tonight. God bless you.